When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 104 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure you subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the big name guests that I've got lined up for you with new VRP Rocks episodes dropping every single Monday. And you only need to take a quick scroll back through to see the legendary guests that we've had on the show in recent times, including the likes of Steve Vai, Joe Bonamassa, uh, Peter Frampton, a rare interview from him, Dee Schneider, Jim McCarty from The Yardbirds, and many more, just to realise the calibre of guests that we get here on the show. So go on, hit subscribe now. And if you're joining us from YouTube, if you've watched some of the videos, then these are the full interviews with those guests. So again, hit subscribe and make sure you don't miss any. Now, today's guest is a brother of someone that I've spoken to on VRP Rocks before, a couple of times actually, and I think that makes it the first set of siblings I featured on the show. My guest today is the younger brother, but a legend in his own right, having been an integral member of Black Sabbath and the band Dio. He's also worked with a whole host of other incredible musicians, including George Lynch and Vivian Campbell, Rick Derringer, Don Airy, and so many more as well. Fresh from returning from a tour of Brazil, I was delighted to welcome Vinny Apice to the show. And if you're wondering, then please do check out episode 43 to hear the great chat with his older brother and fellow drummer, Carmine Apice. Yes, I know, different sounding surnames. We do talk about that in the interview. Anyway, uh, Carmine has great stories about uh, Vanilla Fudge and touring with Led Zeppelin, working with Rod Stewart, being fired from his time with Ozzy Osbourne by a crazy shower, and loads more as well. So, as I said, check out episode 43 of VRP Rocks for that one. And if you're a fan of Black Sabbath, then look at episode 54. That's got a former Black Sabbath lead singer. Tony Martin was on that one. He's the second longest lead singer with Black Sabbath after Ozzy Osbourne. So well worth listening to that. And also check out episode 40 with another drummer who spent time in the band, Bev Bevan. Bev was also a mainstay in ELO, so you get loads of great stories from him as well. Check out all those episodes. As for today, though, you're going to hear the incredible story of Vinny working with and hanging out with... John Lennon. And that was all whilst Vinny was still at school. Crazy stories. You'll hear about how he was a last-minute call-up to Black Sabbath when Bill Ward quit in the middle of a US tour. His relationship with Ronnie James Dio, why they both quit Sabbath to form the band Dio, and about the recording sessions behind the classic album Holy Diver, and so much more as well. Vinny, like his older brother, has so many great stories to tell, so I just know you're going to love this interview. So here you go. Please do enjoy this fun interview with one of Hard Rock's great drummers, Vinnie Apice. 
So I'm joined by the wonderful Vinnie Apice, or is it Apice? Apice, Apice. I wanted to start with that because I've spoken to your brother many times. I mean, where, where does it come from? Why why does it differ? Uh, well, it's Apice. My father said Apice. And yeah. Paul Mine used to say Apice. And then when he started playing with Rod Stewart, Rod was confused uh, as has how to pronounce the, the last name. <laughs> and he pronounced it Apice, so Carmine went with Apice. And then that started this whole thing from 1976, uh, Apice, Apice, blah, blah, blah. And to make things worse, we have an older brother, Frank, who lives around the corner from me, and he says a peach. <laughs> Just so to be okay. Free pronunciation. <laughs> but my father said Apice, Carmine used to say Apice, so I'm Apice. So we're sticking with Apice. That's the dad's name. That's the way we're doing it. Well, it's wonderful to speak to you to Vinny Apice. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, we spoke about Carmine there. He's, what, 10 years older than you or something, and obviously famous drummer as well in his own right. So was he a big inspiration to you when you were younger and growing up? Oh, yeah. He's actually 11 years older than I am. And then uh, when I grew up, he was playing at first with local bands in the house, and this is in Brooklyn, New York. And I used to sit there and watch them play, you know, great entertainment for like a seven, eight-year-old kid. And then when he joined the Fudge and started getting bigger, my parents would go to the shows and bring uh, my sister and I along. Yeah, we were younger and it was like, wow, this is amazing. I want to do this. And there was always drums in the house. So, um, yeah, it was a big inspiration. And then to see how good... uh, um, I was back then and still is now and uh, it was you know very inspirational to me so I didn't even think about maybe I should learn a different instrument I just <laughs> jumped on the drums absolutely absolutely and speaking about jumping on the drums and, and being young I have to speak about someone that we sadly lost 40 plus years ago but back in the news uh, John Lennon um, now you at a very early age you had the fortune of, of meeting him and, and working with him didn't you so how did all that come about well, that came about because the band I was playing with, which was a uh, nine-piece band, we had four horn players. It was a really good band. I was 16 years old, and uh, Jimmy Iveen was our producer, brought us into the record plant, and they gave us a rehearsal room all the time, whenever we wanted. So we used to hang out at the record plant in New York City, and one night, Jimmy Iveen called us up. We were upstairs rehearsing, and he said, can you come down and do hand claps? We went, Sure. So we go down to the studio, and there's Jimmy with John Lennon, and we walk in going, oh, my God. You know, John and John. Lennon. So we did. Uh, we went into the room and put headphones on. Now he's talking to you, you know, and it's just like, what a trip. And I'm thinking, I got to have, I got to go to school the next day after this. Oh. And we did hand claps on the song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And that, came, that, that went well. And then... Uh, I guess John found out we rehearsed upstairs and we were cool. We weren't fanboys. So mm-hmm. he felt safe around us. So he used to come up and watch us rehearse. And we had a pool table up there and uh, we used to play pool with him. And then he asked us to do uh, uh, three videos with him. And uh, he really liked the band. The band was good. I heard that he was thinking of using us as his next band. That's how good the band was. And we did three videos with him that had been released on his DVDs. And we did, um, he produced the owner of the record plants, White. He was a singer. 
And she wasn't known, but he produced eight songs and we were the band. So we worked with him in, as a producer. And then he asked us to do a gig he had uh, at the New York Hilton. And it was a black tie affair. And it was televised around the world. And we were the band. He asked us to do it. And we played three songs with him. Imagine Stand By Me and Slipping and Sliding. And then a few years back, a few years ago, probably six years ago, seven years ago, I found out that was his last live appearance. Oh, it was wow. in the Guitar Aficionado magazine. And it's a big picture of uh, John and, and the band. I was right next to John. It mentions me because I played with Sabbath and Dio and I went on to do big, bigger things and uh, mentions me and John. And then it says, this is the last live appearance. And I'm like, what? Me? At 16 years old, <laughs> played his last live appearance? Oh, my God. So it was a trip, you know, pretty trip. But he liked us because we didn't do the fanboy thing. And he felt he can come up and watch us rehearse. We smoked, I smoked a couple joints with him and, and, um, he felt safe with us, you know. And obviously, he's like one of the, the biggest rock stars of all time. I mean, what was he like just to hang around with? And what, what was he like as a person at that time? Well, he was really, uh, you know, it's hard to remember so long ago. This was 1975. But he was very nice, you know, very nice. Matter of fact, I'm sitting there, we're smoking a joint, and I'm talking, we're talking about Italian food. And I said, well, my family's Italian, my grandmother's from Italy. My mom makes the best lasagna in the world. And then uh, we had a conversation about it. And I said, I'll have her make you some. So a couple of days later, I bring in a pan of lasagna to the studio. I see John. I give it to John. He was surprised. He was happy. Okay. So he took it, (laughs) took it home. And about a month later, my brother's playing with Rod Stewart at Madison Square Garden for a bunch of nights. (laughs) And there's a big party. So... My parents went to the party. I was on the road with Derringer at the time. This was a little later on, I guess. And uh, my mom sees John Lennon and my father. She goes, let's go say hi. (laughs) She's from Brooklyn. It doesn't matter. (laughs) So uh, Pauline brings her over, introduces John to my mother and says, this is my mom and this is Vinny's mom. She made you lasagna. Oh, and they chatted for a while. And at the end of the conversation, my mom asked John Lennon, did you bring the pan? He had the lasagna (laughs) pan. Like she thought, hey, he might bring the lasagna pan back. Who knows? You know, he didn't know she was coming. (laughs) So that was a funny story, but uh, it, it was great hanging out together, you know? Yeah. I bet it was. And how was that going back to school then? Because you said you, you were at school when you were hanging out with him. I mean, well, that's, that was sounds hard. crazy. You know, I, I'd sit in school going, this is so black and white. Last night I was in a world of color. And what am I doing here? You know? And I, I would be tapping on the desk, you know. The teacher's trying to teach. She'd go, uh, wait, who's that drumming? Vincent, stop that drumming. So I would stand up and go, excuse me, did anyone else in this classroom play with one of the Beatles last night? And I got up and I left. I quit high school. 
That's that's what they they call mic drop these days. That is definitely one of their moments. Yeah. I knew I was going to play. You know, my brother was successful. My parents knew he was successful, that there was a, a living in it, you know. And uh, so I knew what I was going to do. Luckily, it happened for me. And uh, later on, I did get the, they call it equivalency high school diploma. You know, I did do that. and uh, But uh, yeah, it was really trippy going to school after being hanging out with John Lennon. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bonkers indeed. Uh, you mentioned Rick Derringer there. You, you toured and played with him, uh, a few albums with him as well. But the next big break to, to talk about is obviously 1980. Um, you were literally parachuted into one of the most famous metal bands of all time, Black Sabbath, um, yeah. mid-tour when Bill Ward decided to leave. I mean, talk me through that. How did you get that gig? How did you get the call? Well, even before that, uh, right before Sabbath, I got a call from Sharon Osbourne. And they were putting Ozzy's band together. You know, she was trying to get him straightened out, and he's in England and and make the first record. And so they called me and said, "Hey, uh, do you, you know, this is Sharon. Uh, we're putting a band together. We'll fly you to England, hang out with Ozzy, see how it goes." Oh, whoa! I back. I mean, I was twenty years old. I'd never been out of the country <laughs> except for Canada, and uh, so I asked Carmine, my brother. I said, "Is Ozzy crazy? I mean." Should I do this and go all the way over there? He goes, yeah, he's pretty crazy. So I turned it down. I just told her I I couldn't do it. And then about uh, a month later, Sabbath calls. And they're in California. They're in Los Angeles. That's where I live. And they said, uh, Bill Ward um, is missing in action, and we need to finish a tour. You you interested? You can come down and meet Tony Iommi tonight. I said, sure. Because it was easy. They're right you know, down the street, actually. So I went and met Tony, and we hit it off really well. He heard an album that I did uh, with my band called Axis. Really good good band. And he liked it, and uh, he invited me down to rehearsal. So the next day, packed my drums in my 67 Mustang and uh, went down to rehearsal and played. I met Ronnie and, and uh, met Geezer, Jeff Nichols on keyboards. And we headed off. It was really good, you know. And the first song we played was Neon Nights, which I heard on the radio. I didn't know it very well, but I knew it kept going, and there was only one stop in the middle. So that was easy to figure out faking it. <laughs> and uh, that's the first song I played with Ronnie James Dio. And then 40 years later, that was the last song I played with Ronnie. It was at oh, really? uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey with Heaven and Hell. And that was the last song we played together. So that was freaky. So then I'm in the, I'm in the band and uh, they said, okay. I was in the band until Bill Ward came back. Okay, yeah. That's what happened. So we played a little bit and then they were so happy they found a drummer. They went to the pub. And I'm like, I got 14 songs to to learn i don't i wasn't a big sabbath fan so i didn't know these songs that well uh so i stayed back worked with jeff nichols keyboard player and we worked on the songs and each day they went to the pub luckily they went less and less and you know i had to keep working the song. we only had four days then the last day everybody was nervous oh shit you know <laughs> he only got a couple hours of rehearsal left First gig was Hawaii, Aloha Stadium, 
30, 40,000 people. And now they got a new drummer who they never played with another drummer before at that point. So they were nervous. But we got through it. You know, we got through it. The endings were a bit sloppy and long. But uh, as the tour went on, it got tighter and tighter. And then uh, eventually we had to do a song for the movie Heavy Metal. Warner Brothers Records wanted us to do a song. So we're on the Heaven and Hell album tour, 1980. So we went into that two days off. So we went into John Lennon's house. He's already been, he's passed already. Ringo owned it, of all places. And I got his room, which is weird. They gave me the key. I go to the door. It's a John John and Yoko. I didn't go in because he just passed away. And I'm, I thought it was weird, you know, staying in the room. I should have went in the room. I wish I did. So uh, that's where we wrote and recorded the Mob Rules song, the Mob Rules. That was the first version of it. And that came out so good. Everybody was happy and crazy. Record company loved it. So that kind of cemented me into, I'm in the band, you know. And uh, Bill Ward doesn't look like he's coming back, so... And then I continued from there. So. Incredible. Some incredible sliding doors moments there. If you said yes to Ozzy, then you, you might not have met up with, with Ronnie and, and everything that followed with that as well afterwards. Yeah. So Holy died. Pretty crazy. Have been holy smokes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, speaking of mob rules, I mean, um, what was the process behind that then? Obviously, you were part of the band at this point. Um, Tony and Giza, obviously original members. How much say did, did Ronnie and yourself have in the songwriting process at this point? Well, Ronnie had a lot of say in it, you know. He had a lot of, he always had a lot of ideas. And uh, and he's writing the lyrics. Geezer's not writing the lyrics now. So he had a lot of say. They all did, you know. And I didn't really say much. I was all ears, you know. I mean, you know, these guys, I'm the new kid on the block. What am I going to uh, say? Whatever ideas. I might have said something here and there, but I, I was cool. And, uh, but the songwriting process was really good. I mean, we wrote that song in one day, one day and started recording it and finished it the next day. That's pretty amazing for that, uh, that band. Absolutely. And then after the album, there was the recording of the live evil. Um, and then tensions began to, to, to creep in, didn't they, between various members and various accusations about, um, Ronnie and, and maybe yourself altering the, the live mix and all that sort of weird stuff that went on. I mean, what were your memories around that time when it got messy? Well, it got messy while we were re- recording the Live Evil stuff uh, on the road. You know, it became, we had two limos, uh, Tony and Geezer and Jeff and one, me and Ronnie the other. Yeah, it became that kind of thing. They weren't getting along that good. I would jump in either limo. I was, I, I had no problem with anybody, obviously. Uh, I loved everybody. And uh, so that became apparent. And then uh, when we went to mix the album, we were supposed to be, mixing in the afternoon like two o'clock three o'clock and ronnie and i would show up because we live close together so we drive in together uh i'd pick ronnie up he'd pick me up well i'd meet him at his house and we were there and, and tony Giza weren't there so it, a couple of days of that we wasted you know a bunch of hours each day just sitting there so ronnie decided well you know let's do try to get some work done you know so we never, never put the vocal up and the drums up. I, I have no say in this, you know. I did along for the ride. 
You know, and then in the movie, Dio, dreamers never die. <laughs> they interviewed Tony and Giza. We don't even remember what happened. <laughs> That's, I was cracking up. But, well, I don't know what happened, but, you know, things were different back then. So, uh, it's crazy. And obviously, you must have had a great friendship with, with Ronnie. So, how um, difficult was it when, when he decided to, to leave and ask you to, to go with him to form Dio then? Because obviously, it sounds like a difficult thing to choose between Black Sabbath and the name and Geezer and Tony and, and then going off to something new with Ronnie. Well, it, it wasn't that hard to do because I'm, you know, I'm 22 years old. When you're young, you go, hey, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. And, uh, it wasn't like, uh, oh my God, what about my mortgage payment and this and that? It wasn't about that at all. So I just thought we get along so well. This is one of the greatest singers in rock. And uh, he, we live at the same place. So it was kind of like, let's take a chance. This can't fail with Ronnie at the helm. You know, cannot fail. And sat, you know, Tony and Giza wanted me to stay with them, but they were based in England. So it was kind of an easy decision to go, all right, let's try it, see what happens. And, uh, you know, it's it seemed to work really well, you know, so we got along. And then uh, we got Jimmy Bain and Vivian Campbell uh, in the band. We went to England to, to listen to different guitar players and stuff. And then it was magic when we played together. We go, wow, this is, this is a good band. Yeah. Yeah. Then we made that album. Did Tony and Giza try and talk you into to staying, or was was they just kind of resigned to, to your decision? Uh, yeah, they actually the management said, you know, Tony and Giza don't personally do that so much. But it was the management said, you know, we'd like you to stay, and <laughs> you know, da ba ba, you know. But I thought it sounds exciting to do something new and fresh, and uh, with somebody I get along with, and and what a amazing singer, and so. And it was, that's what it was. It was fun. There was no rules. You know, we used to go in at seven o'clock at Sound City and near where we lived and rehearse and write and record stuff and smoke a lot of pot. And they drank. I didn't really drink. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We were making, it was more of a fun hangout. We weren't thinking of making a classic record. More of a hangout every night, seven o'clock, and uh, we didn't know. And then this album came out, and it went all the way up the charts. We started playing bigger places, and now forty something years later, forty years later, the album still sells. It's become a classic cornerstone yeah. piece of music for for heavy metal, heavy rock. Obviously, like you said, it's it's still revered to this day, 40 years on, and it's still held up as a classic of, of the genre and everything else like that. But from the sounds of it, you guys are just kind of having fun and just going along for the ride. And it was almost like you didn't feel that it was as special as it was going to go on to become. No, nah, no, nah, we were just having fun. Matter of fact, one night we had some riffs. We jammed on the riff. And then uh, I said, well, all right, we'll listen to it tomorrow when we come in. Next day we came in, we smoked a couple of joints. So we're all stoned. And we asked Angelo, who was our engineer, put that tape in. Let's hear it. It was a cassette, but he put it in upside down, backwards. So it started <laughs> playing backwards. And we're laughing, going, yeah, you're, you're fucking stoned, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, we listened to the riff. Wait a minute, that sounds good. So we learned the riff backwards. That's how crazy and no rules applied. 
And that's the song called Invisible. There's the riff forward, and the second part is the riff backwards. Or if I, I don't know which one's which, but that's the way those riffs work. And we put them together and go, this, this is cool. You know, so we just did crazy shit, you know. So this was like, hey, this is fun. We're having a great time here. We never, nobody, everybody looked forward every night to getting together. And that made a great album. You know? Incredible stuff, incredible stuff. So obviously it's very creative, it's very relaxed and informal in terms of making the music and just letting it go and see where it comes from. But what was Ronnie like as a person then? Was he kind of driven and, and very headstrong when it comes to making the music and the purpose and the direction of things? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's always driven. You know, that's why back in Live Evil, he didn't want to sit there and waste time. Well, let's do something. Yeah, so he's always driven and... Uh, he wanted to work every day and uh, always had ideas, you know. He stayed in the room with us. He'd write his lyrics, roll a joint, write lyrics, get up, sing a little bit, you know. And uh, we were a great team. And then Angelo Arcuri, who recorded the record and the three or four albums after that, uh, so we had our in-house engineer, too. So it was all a complete unit, but... Uh, yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie, he loved making music and writing, and uh, and he loved his fans. And uh, and he was very happy to have such a great band. You know, finally, after Rainbow and Sabbath and him having to listen to other people, now he's in control. And he loved uh, the way the band played together. And so we all did. And you guys made some great albums together, but uh, there was a decision, wasn't there, in the early 90s for, for yourself and, and Ronnie to go back and join Black Sabbath. I mean, given what happened before, how did all that come about? And was there any trepidation about going back to, to the band? Um, well, Cozy was uh, in the project originally, Cozy Powell. Uh, this was uh, Dehumanizer time. And um, Cozy fell off a horse and broke his pelvis. You know, and they he couldn't play, so they're they're in the middle, not even the middle, of like beginning eight stages of doing a new record. So they're sitting there, and, you know, well, what do we do? Who do we get? Let's call Vinny. They called me, and uh, and it was taking a long time with Cozy. Ronnie didn't get along with Cozy, and they were spending a lot of money. And it was taking a long time. We did it in Wales. We rehearsed in Wales and uh, recorded there. Uh, so I flew over, and I'm easy to work with. And then we started cranking it, you know. Boom, boom, boom. Ronnie and I lived in the house together because we get along, you know. I don't, you know, Ronnie was in the house by himself, I think, before. So uh, we were able to, in a matter of a couple of weeks, finish the writing and reproduction and all this stuff. And, um, so that became the, the humanizer album. And then, uh, okay, album's going to come out. Let's do a tour. So we did a, a tour at that point after, you know, but that's the time when grunge was coming out. So we were more like the old rock dinosaur, you know, Black Sabbath. We're playing smaller places and, you know, but it was a great album. I, people love that album now, especially in Brazil. They went nuts. <laughs> I'm just quickly mentioning Brazil because you're just back from touring there, aren't you? You had a number of dates over there. How was that? 
Oh, I was, I got a great band down there and, uh, I've done it. I've done it three times down, down in South America. And, uh, what we play is a lot of stuff from Marlboro Bulls, uh, Dehumanizer and some old Sabbath, uh, Heaven and Hell, you know, all that, and a little bit of Dio. And they just go crazy. I played five shows. They were all pretty much sold out. Smaller places, you know, but packed. And they know all the words. They know all the melodies. They're so passionate about their music. It's incredible. So I had a great time. And, uh, you know, like I said, 40 years later, they just love this stuff. And I did some, I'm doing them in the States now as well. I did five shows a couple of months back. And, um, you know, as we have time off with Last in Line with Vivian Campbell, um, I'll be booking these shows. And it's a fun thing for me playing all this old stuff. You know, and it's low stress. We're not trying to sell records. We're not trying to become a big band. It's more of a tribute yeah. with me. So I call it like a tribute plus to Black Sabbath, the, you know, I'm the plus. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned last uh, last in line there. Um, it was following the sad passing of Ronnie, wasn't it? That the band formed and got together, uh, you guys and members. Talk us about talk us through how that came th- about as well, because obviously yourself and, and Vivian and everyone involved. Well, Ronnie passed in 2010. And uh, about 2015, Vivian called up and said, uh, hey, I'm in town. I just spoke to Jimmy. You up for a jam? I said, yeah, that'd be fun, you know. So we got together and we jammed and uh, played all the old Dio songs from Holy Diver and Last in Line. And it was a lot of fun. We had we were cracking up. We were trying to remember the parts and they were trying to remember the solos. So it was so much fun. We said, let's do it again next week. So we booked the rehearsal place and then uh my friend andy freeman i played with him a long time ago with george lynch i called him i said you want to come down and sing you know some of these songs he goes, absolutely so he came down sang with us and he blew everybody away and uh we went wow why don't we do some dates so that's how it came about then we did dates and then our manager at the time steve strange and he rested in peace uh, he got us a deal on Frontiers Records, and we did two records with them, and now we're on Ear Music. On third album came out uh, late, earlier this year. Uh, and we've been touring in between Def Leppard's schedule, because Fivs plays with Def Leppard. Uh, so that's how that came. It wasn't a money grab, like, hey, Ronnie passed away. Let's wow, make some money, you know. So, uh, I mean, Fivs playing with Def Leppard, there's no, <laughs> don't need the money. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a natural, fun thing. And we're still going, you know. Right now we're off because uh, they're in Japan. And then we're going to continue beginning of next year. Brilliant. And is there any dates coming to Europe at all? Not yet. We hope to get there. We want to do the festivals, but every time we say that, uh, obviously Def Leppard goes out and does summer. (laughs) So we can't do anything in summer. It's kind of frustrating, but what are you going to do? Oh, what can you do indeed? <laughs> Difficult one. But now, now I'm doing this, so I'm happy, you know. If we can't play, I can go out and do this. We call it Sabbath Nights. K-N-I-G-H-T-S. Sabbath Nights. And uh, and when I played here, 
places were packed and people loved it as well. So, because I'm the only guy now from the original band that's out there, you know, Tony Geezer, no more. Ozzy seems like no more. And, uh, I was the only other drummer in the beginning. So, and made some of the albums with them. So it's a, I think at the time is perfect now for me that I still want to do this, go out and play, play this stuff. People want to hear it. So Yeah, absolutely. And you're always a busy boy. You're always doing something. And, and something else I want to touch on is, is the stuff that you do with Carmine. You guys do clinics together and different shows and things like that. And you did one during COVID on a YouTube channel. And it was really cool where you spoke to um, various different of your, your rock star friends and things. You had them on hanging and banging. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. That was something that uh, – uh, Came up with uh, Ron Onesti, who who books a, a great theater in Chicago. Now he has two theaters. He was the host. And then Carmine kind of sorted it out. And uh, I said, all right, let's do it. And then that was the COVID thing went away and the world opened up. It was harder to get people on the show. And uh, so, again, eventually, we I don't know how many episodes we did. But uh, it was a cool thing, you know, something. That's like from something, not bad, but something negative came a positive, you know. We couldn't go out and play, but this became a show. And then I started doing, I do it here in the studio here, is the drums behind me, that uh, uh, a live stream on Facebook every Tuesday, 4 p.m. California time. And it became uh, like, you want to do two months while the COVID thing is happening? Sure. Well, that was, I did, a, I don't know how many, 150 streams now. I'm still, I do it every Tuesday and it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Always busy, like we said, and, and definitely follow you on social medias, on Facebook as well, and you get to see those live streams and, and some fun pictures and, and things like that because you are here, there, and everywhere, and you always post little pictures and videos from where you are. It's always always fun to see what you're up to. Yeah, I know. People will go, wow, I love those pictures. Like the, the, I just did put a whole bunch of Brazil pictures on and some uh, footage. And uh, people tell me, you know, I looked through that. I lived through that. Like, I can imagine I'm there. Uh, well, really? Okay. Music touches people, obviously. So, yeah. so the, the, the images and the videos and stuff. So uh, I put a bunch of stuff up there, you know, and uh, I'll keep doing it as, as I go along. You know? Then I do horror events. And I do rock fantasy camps. I got a rock fantasy camp coming up next week with uh, Mike Portney, Zach Wild, and uh, Marty Freeman from Megadeth. Excellent. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Vinny. I loved hearing your stories. And uh, yeah, like I said, everyone check out your Facebook and, and keep on top of everything that he's up to because he's always here, there, and everywhere. And you can get to see what he's up to. It's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, thanks you guys, for uh, really keeping this alive and, and keep me busy. <laughs> and that Facebook thing's on uh, Vinny Apathy Official. So if you want to check it out, Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, which is California time. And uh, yeah, that's a cool, fun little thing. You know, for 45 minutes, an hour. So, well, nice talking to you, Paul. And uh, thanks for having me on. There you go, the brilliant Vinny Apathy there. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Again, check out the interview with his older brother, Carmine. That's episode 43, and it's another fantastic interview. 
But that's it for me and this week's VRP Rocks. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app so that you get all the episodes, loads more great guests and brilliant stories still to come over the next few weeks and a million fantastic episodes that you can go back through and scroll through and find all the brilliant interviews we've done in the past as well. So many big name guests. I think we're looking around 30 Rock and Roll Hall of Famers now, just about touching that sort of scene, which is not too bad in the space of 104. Also, please do leave VRP Rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use. It makes a big, big difference. It really does. And if you can, check out VRP Rocks' YouTube channel and give us a like, follow, or subscribe on the social media channels as well. Just search for VRP Rocks. A big thanks to all of you who interact every single week. I love to hear from you all. But anyway, I'll be back same time next week to do it all over again with another big-name guest for you. So until then, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.